According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Once again, we are in Proverbs chapter 8. It's been, uh, what, two weeks since we've been here? Three weeks? It's been a while. We had the Schaefer Conference, and then I came back sick from Houston, so we didn't have class last week. I'm not 100%, but as long as I'm 40, 45%, I think I can get a, get a class complete. Proverbs chapter 8. We're uh, still dealing with the birthing of the humanity of Jesus Christ in verses 22 through 31. And one of the deepest passages of all Scripture that you would ever want to look at is, uh, is this passage right here, where we are viewing the commencement of our Savior's humanity, the beginning of God the Son uh, not his deity, of course. God the Son is eternal, has always been God, along with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Trinity is Trinity, and we understand that. That uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are co-equal. That the, that the three are one. It's not three gods, but one God. Three persons in one God. And the person of God the Son is eternal, always has been. We don't plunge in any of the, of the issues. And I think the reason why churches or pastors are afraid of this passage is because of what jehovah's witnesses do or mormons or these other cults where they try to find a beginning for uh, and to turn jesus into a created being and of course uh, that's entirely wrong it's entirely unbiblical god the son is uncreated uh, as a part of trinity uh, part of the i am as we understand it uh, but his humanity that's what we're dealing with the humanity of jesus christ and humanity is not eternal all right. Although you will find folks who will try to say that it is or defend it. Uh, humanity had a beginning. And most people put the beginning of the humanity of Jesus Christ in a manger in Bethlehem. And that when the baby is born, that now there is a baby. Now there's a, a human uh, infant there that the Virgin Mary birthed and, and was raised by Mary and Joseph and so forth. And so most folks, without even a thought, you know, just it's a no-brainer in their mind, is uh, the humanity of Jesus Christ begins with the virgin birth. All right? And so that's either um, a... Uh, did the glass doors get open? That's either a Bethlehem manger, or even prior to that, it's a Nazareth uh, a virgin. All right? Whatever the case, that humanity begins with the incarnation of Jesus Christ. All right? However, when we look at Proverbs chapter 8, we realize this is speaking of a begetting prior to the Bethlehem manger, prior to even Adam and Eve, prior to even the angels, prior to anything, that this is the beginning. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. And so we have a beginning here that we have to deal with, and we want to relate this to the Genesis 1-1 beginning, the John 1-1 beginning, the Colossians 1-17 beginning, all the beginnings that we have in Scripture. And we want to make sure that we orient our beginnings and, and relate them to each other appropriately. And so uh, we understand this as the birthing of the humanity of Jesus Christ. And so far, I think we've done pretty well with it. Uh, we've had, oh, I think, two complete sessions in this, and this will now be our third uh, to try to uh, bring these details together. Maybe the, the biggest obstacle, and I'll open here in prayer in a moment, but the biggest obstacle... Uh, that, that folks struggle with is how can Jesus receive his humanity before the foundation of the earth? In other words, in eternity past or at the alpha moment of time. 
How could he receive his humanity but not get his body for 4,000 years or 8,000 years or how many, how, we don't know how long the angelic realm even was. But how could he receive his humanity and not get his body for so long? And that, that's, that's a struggle. That's a struggle we want to understand. But I think if we get over that, uh, if we can separate the issues with respect to our bodies, with respect to humanity, I think we do real well. Uh, my mother left her body here on this earth three and a half years ago, but she's still human, all right? And uh, our humanity is not dependent upon our body because our humanity is, you know, the real you is your soul. The soul spirit of you is your humanity. And uh, the body is just, you know, we are souls that have a body. We're not uh, bodies that have a soul. And that's, I think, the important difference there when we understand that. So once we can kind of disassociate the necessity of a body to define humanity, then I think it's less of an issue for Jesus Christ to receive his humanity uh, at, at the beginning, as it says here, in the beginning or at the beginning and from the beginning, before his works of old, from everlasting I was established, from the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth. And so the humanity of Jesus Christ precedes uh, the earth, precedes the creation. It is the alpha moment of time that every other moment is, is marked as being after the uh, begetting of the humanity of Jesus Christ in his hypostatic union. All right, let's open with a word of prayer. Ask the Father to sanctify our thinking and to bless our concentration that we might understand these, uh, these amazing truths. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do thank you for the truth of your word and the blessing we have to assemble together. Father, I pray for clarity of speech and clarity of thinking as uh, the word of God goes forth, that it will not be limited or impaired in any way by any uh, human limitations, Father, on the part of the speaker or on the part of the hearers. Father, bless your word as it goes forth. We claim the promise it will not return void. It will accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. And I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ, most precious and holy name. Amen. All right, in this chapter... Let me get through my outline. I failed to write down my numbers here. We had point one with some subpoints. Personified wisdom as a contrast with the harlot we had before in chapter 7. And uh, we saw the details there in verses 1 through 11. This is the woman that you want to be embracing. You want to be hugging this woman. This is the woman to be intimate with, and that is wisdom, as opposed to that other woman, and she's, uh, she's nothing but trouble. Um, under point two, we looked at verses 12 through 21 in a love-hate dichotomy. Wisdom speaks in the first person as to her associations and disassociations. Love will, uh, will, you will love what is good and you will hate what is evil. You will abhor what is evil. And the issue is there. It is a love-hate dichotomy. Don't think of them as opposites. Hate is itself a love application in the unhypocritical love that we understand from Romans chapter 12. And so we had some sub-issues there. The fear of the Lord hates evil and those issues. And now we arrive at point three, where we've been now for a couple of weeks. The most detailed passage in all the Bible concerning the begetting of the begotten. The begetting of the begotten. Jesus Christ is the begotten one. He's the begotten son. He is, uh, uh, as we see, the monogonase in the New Testament, the only begotten. Uh, full of grace and truth, and issues there. And I realize that some Greek scholars will be um, uh, 
appropriate when they talk about monogenes and the aspect of Jesus Christ being the unique, the one and only, and the aspect of monogenes that is connected with genos rather than genao. And I accept that. I'm completely on board with that. I'm not ignorant of that. In fact, I preach that. Um, But don't go so far as to use that etymology for only begotten to deny the the literal begotten nature of, of his humanity. It is not created. It is begotten. And I'm not trying to split hairs or be a nitpicker, but the scriptures are being very clear here that the humanity of Jesus Christ was begotten by the Father, not created, because creation is a different realm. Creation is what our Savior did, what Jesus did as God the Son when he created the universe and the angels and humanity and everything else. And so we're dealing with it here. We understand the passage from Psalm 2, Today I have begotten you. It's a critical passage. It's, it's given in Psalm 2, it's quoted six times. Three direct quotations and three allusions in the New Testament to the beloved Son. Today I have begotten you. But Psalm 2 doesn't tell us what day is today. <laughs> okay? It doesn't say today, you know, Wednesday, March 30th. We don't have specificity in the term today. Today I have begotten you. It doesn't tell us what day is that today. And uh, in any of these passages, Matthew 3, Acts 13, Hebrews 1, 5, Hebrews 5, 5. Uh, the only one that might approach that would be the Acts 13. The problem is, is that's a context that deals with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, for folks who try to teach that his resurrection day was the day of his begetting, I'm, I'm underwhelmed. You know, convince me. Show me from the scriptures. See, and... Uh, <coughs> particularly because he's already a son when at the river Jordan at the baptism, the father says, behold, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So he's already a son prior to the resurrection. So to try to say the resurrection is the beginning moment, I find uh, causes more problems than it solves. And I don't even know what it actually solves, if anything. Because I think it violates Proverbs 8. I think it violates Psalm 89 that the sonship of, of Jesus pre-exists the angels, pre-exists everything in uh, the created universe. And so if we want to find out what day that is, we've got to go somewhere besides Psalm 2, and we, uh, we find it in our passage today in uh, Proverbs 8. <coughs> the introduction in the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Logos. This uh, is the theological unfolding of from the beginning was the wisdom, all right? And John says, in the beginning was the Logos. Proverbs says, in the beginning was the wisdom. And they're parallel, all right? And we understand that. They are parallel. Logos in the Greek, uh, chachma, wisdom in the Hebrew. And so in John chapter 1, we have the gospel of John's theological unfolding, that God the Son was with God the Father. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And it's important Let's look at that here briefly in John chapter 1, because I think we're very familiar, and it's useful to use the familiar passages to help explain the unfamiliar, the clear to explain the less clear. In, in John 1 and in Colossians 1, it's very clear that it's the second member of Trinity is the agent of creation. God the Son is the member of Trinity that, that put into effect the will of God the Father. So John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. 
So here's the title word that applies to God the Son, the second member of Trinity. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And so he is the agent. He is the, he is the, uh, the member of Trinity that through him things come into being. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. All right? So everything that exists outside of God exists because of, through, and for Jesus Christ. For God the Son. All right? We know that from Colossians. We know that from other passages. Nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and life was the light of angels. No, the light of men. Why that? Why that? In, 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 if we're going back before time, before the alpha moment, if we're going back to the eternity past, why is there the light of men in him? Why is life, why is Zoe so connected to the uh, photos, the light of, of men? Okay? I think it's connected because the Father has birthed humanity, invested in God the Son. And that, and that Zoe life then is what's going to be provided for the realm of humanity. <clears throat> all right so we have aspects of it there uh colossians one <coughs> excuse me colossians chapter one so we have no doubt that it's god the son is the is the creator according to the will of the father it's through him through god the son at the will of God the Father, that everything was created. All right, Colossians chapter 1. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And you'll note, verse 15, this is Jesus Christ, the one that we have redemption. You can back up and see that context in verse 13, the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All right, so we're talking about Jesus Christ, God the Son, and hypostatic union. He, God the Son, is the image of the invisible God. And so the Son images the Father. What was, that? What was Adam and Eve? They were created to do what? To image God. In the image and likeness of God. Well, before Adam and Eve ever imaged, and likeness, imaged God in the image and likeness of God, God the Son is the image of the invisible God. It's God the Son who was selected to walk this earth in a visible manner so as to reveal the Father. The image of the invisible God. Notice, the firstborn of all creation. And we're going to come back to this passage. Uh, in fact, it's coming up. I'm getting ahead of my notes. It's coming up in a later subpoint. But we're going to come back to this passage because I think this text takes on a whole new significance once you fully digest Proverbs chapter 8. That he is firstborn literally. Not just in an in a, in a exaltation, not just in a figurative way, not just in, by virtue of his victory on the cross. He has always been the firstborn. He's the firstborn of all creation. But it goes on. Verse 16, For by Him, in John it was through Him, here it's by Him. By Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All right. So again, is God the Father the Creator? Only through God the Son. Through him and by him. It was the will of the Father to create. Son and Holy Spirit are in agreement. But it was the, the Son is the active agent that made it happen. The Son is the active agent who created everything. Alright? Not God the Father. 
We want to be clear on this. I think John 1 is clear. God the Son is the Creator. Colossians 1 is clear. God the, God the Son is Creator. That's going to spark some questions when we go back to Proverbs 8 because it seems there that it's the Father who's the Creator. I want to make sure that we don't get lost in, in, that, uh, in that issue. All things, as it says in verse 16, I'll finish the verse, all things have been created through Him, which we've had several times now, but also for Him, for His sake, for His benefit, for His ultimate glorification. The plan of God, the plan of God the Father, is to eternally glorify Jesus Christ to the maximum. Everything is about Jesus Christ. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. And if I get saved, it's not for me. It's for Christ. It's a bride for His Son. Of course, I benefit. I'm happy to benefit. But it's not about me. It's about the Father blessing His Son with a body of redeemed. And we can be thankful for that. All right. Returning back now to Proverbs 8. Yahweh begat wisdom at the beginning. And the word there, acquired, I'm going to translate as begot or begat. Proverbs 8.22 The Lord possessed me. The verb is kana. The verb is kana. And you can translate it as acquired, like acquire wisdom, or you can translate it as possessed. Possessed me, okay? Or have. It's a, it's a verb that speaks of its acquisition. If you possess something, you obtained it somehow. How did you obtain it? Okay? Did you, did you buy it? Did you build it? Did you steal it? Did you find it? Did you, uh, you know, it, how did you acquire it? Somehow, it came to be in your acquisition, in your possession. It was not before, but then it came to be. All right? Did you birth it? See? And uh, that's the context here, because every other verb in this, in this context is a birthing verb related to labor, related to birthing, related to bringing forth. And uh, the child birthing language that, that permeates the entire passage. Even the, uh, at the end of the passage, the, the playing of a child in verse 30, playing always before him, rejoicing always before him, daily his delight. Playing in the world, his earth, having my delight in the sons of men. That's, that's language of a child who's playing. And so we have the terminology here. We spent a lot of time on the verb kana. The first use is Genesis 4.1. When Eve birthed a son, she acquired a son. She kanaed a son and she named him kana. She named him, or Cain. She named him Cain. And the name Cain comes from the verb kana. She birthed a son. And so I have no problem translating this as begotten. And we spend a lot of time in the uh, theological dictionary of the Old Testament to show cognate languages to Hebrew where it is rendered begotten without even batting an eye. So we have no problem with Jesus being begotten, but it's got to be His humanity that's begotten. That's the issue. And I think the reason why interpreters don't want to translate this as begotten is because they're, they're afraid of, of some kind of a thing whereby the deity of Christ had a beginning. We're not saying the deity of Christ had a beginning. We're saying the humanity of Christ had a beginning. And that beginning was when the Father begat the human nature of Jesus Christ. And that's what's being described here. And so he is the begotten, woven, and birthed wisdom as we see it 
In the beginning was the wisdom begotten, woven, and birthed. And that's what happens. Conception. Weaving. As the, as the baby grows within the womb, it's woven. And then ultimately through the writhing and the travail and the quite painful experience I've seen four times now, that's then birthed into the, uh, into the uh, world. And that's what we see here, all right? And here's the weaving under point D. Yahweh wove wisdom from everlasting from the beginning. And so in verse um, 22, it's at the beginning before his works of old. And then in verse 23, it's from Olam, from everlasting, I was woven from the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth. And so we have the beginning, then we have the weaving. We have the weaving. And we have language here that correlates with Psalm 139, verses 13 and 15. Language that correlates with the issues of, of uh, pregnancy and babies being woven. We also have some manuscript puzzles in terms of which, uh, which verb is in this text. Is it the verb nasak, or should it be understood as the verb sakak? Uh, I think I had a typo on that slide two weeks ago, and I believe that's the corrected, yes, that's the corrected slide. Sakak. I believe it's, it, it is nasak, but the reason why some of the manuscripts change it is uh, because of the uh, ambiguity of the verb. Uh, James Strong's just finally gave up on it and gave three different Strong's numbers to it. Gave it number 5258, 5259, and 5260. <laughs> and said this one verb has three different numbers. And uh, just kind of put them in, in boxes depending on which sense the verb ought to be. Is it, is it poured? Is it established? Is it woven? All right? And so if you're dealing with uh, a foundation, well, a foundation is poured or a foundation is established or fixed. If it's metal, then the molten metal would be poured before it's hardened and, 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 and shaped as a, as, a, as a solid metal. Um, if it's cloth, it's going to be woven, see? And so depending on context, when you're reading in the Hebrew and you come across the verb nasak, it's, it's not really ambiguous in most cases. If you're talking about something that's poured or something that's fixed or something that's made firm or something that's woven, it's usually pretty, uh, you know, obvious in the context here though maybe it's not quite so obvious um you know is it from everlasting i was established from everlasting i was poured from everlasting i was made firm or from everlasting i was woven and i like the rendering woven the reason why i like the rendering woven is because of again these other verbs in the passage that are all dealing with pregnancy all dealing with with uh, a childbirth and in particular psalm 139 Psalm 39, 139, excuse me, verses 13 and 15. I think we're familiar with. We looked at it a couple weeks ago. And uh, remarkably enough, you formed my inward parts. You wove me, this is our verb, in my mother's womb. You wove me in my mother's womb. See, God is such an artist and he's such a, 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 a loving father. And the aspect of the weaving, whereby the tapestry takes shape, okay? Obviously, father and mother contribute the, to, the, to the procreation, to the conception. 
And then as the conception, as the father is the one who opens the womb and allows for that uh, conceived human being to be implanted there, then then he begins his weaving. And he begins to shape that new person. That new person who is a new person, by the way, genetically in the womb, that's not combined uh, chromosomes from father and mother. It's, uh, It's me, as David says here. My inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Now here, too, we have our uh, verb (coughs) for weaving. And uh, the expression here, skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. And that's kind of a puzzle. You know, how do we... Are we, are we drawing a poetic parallel between a woman's womb and, uh, and the depths of the earth? How does that, how does that work? Say, so, well, the poetry is doing that. But we also understand how God in his wisdom, where did he form Adam from? The dirt. That's right. And he grabbed the dust. That, and and why, is the, why is the dust the top level? And how did it get pushed up? And what happened underneath there before this particular dust got pushed up? <laughs> and then gathered and then molded? God didn't just make Adam. Who did he make when he made Adam? Everybody. Adam and Eve, because Eve was a rib inside of there, and all of us in the loins of Adam. You believe God designed all that? I do. I think this passage said that. Isn't that amazing? Boggles the mind. But there it is. So, begotten, woven, and then finally birthed. All right? Finally birthed. And I know... (laughs) <laughs> some of the, I'm so glad for Kindle. I was, I was a lot of these women. They get to that point where they're eight months. They, re, I mean, man, they they got to be tired of being pregnant. You know, I'm tired of looking at them. They, I mean, they just they they make me tired just watching watching what they're going through. Oh my goodness! And so, at a certain point, you say, "Come on, Lord, it's woven. It's woven. Let's let's birth this thing. Let's 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 have this baby now." And so now as we return to Proverbs 8, we have the birthing, the travail. And this, uh, the verb is chul, all right? This is a chul word study. Very chul Hebrew verb. In fact, maybe you don't know too much Hebrew, but you can learn chul, all right? Proverbs 8. It's used in verse 24 and it's used in verse 25. And it speaks of the writhing the writhing, the, the agony, the twisting, the writhing, the, the uh, travail, the unpleasant um, experience, uh, painful since Eve, to actually birth uh, the, the child through the, uh, through the birth canal. All right? It is indeed cool. And it's used in verse 24 and it's used in verse 25. It's called, it's translated, the New American Standard renders it brought forth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. Now you think we were talking about Genesis 1 earlier. You talk about the, the creation account and the recreation account of, of, the, of the world for Adam, uh, Adamic humanity. And Well, there were no depths. See, what do we read in Genesis? That, that the Spirit of God was brooding over the surface of the deep? Well, before that, when there were no depths, I was birthed. I was birthed. And this is wisdom speaking. This is 
the hypostatic union of Jesus Christ, speaking about his birthing experience, which none of us, you know, were aware of. <laughs> I mean, I guess we were aware of, but we don't have memory of it, right? Do you remember your birth? I don't remember my birth, okay? Kind of a corny Stephen Wright joke where he talks about keeping a diary. But in any event, um, Jesus has the, the full awareness of this experience. When he was begotten, God the Son knew it. God the Son knew that the Father had begotten a human nature and had planted it in, uh, on God the Son. And that he had woven that human, human nature. God the Son was aware of that. Now in hypostatic union. All right? That that human humanity, that soul spirit was being woven and then birthed. The soul spirit was then birthed and, and God the Son is now the God-man in hypostatic union. Undiminished deity and true humanity united together in one person forever. Forevermore, moving forward. So when there were no depths, I was chul. I was brought forth. When there, were, when there were no springs abounding with water, before, and I think that, by the way, is an angelic reference, okay? The, uh, the, the fallen angels that motivate false teachers in Second Peter are called springs without water, and there's other, um, there's other things about uh, spirits and springs and, and things. That's, that's deeper than I'm going to get into today. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. Again, I think that's with respect to the angelic earth and the geography there. Satan was on a hill. There was another hill. There was the hill for the divine council. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. And so prior to Adam's earth, prior to the angelic earth, prior to any of this, the humanity of Jesus Christ was birthed. And he came forth from the birth forevermore as the God-man. As the God-man. And so, if you can just envision it with me, from eternity past, all right, there's no time, all right, it's the timeless eternity past, all there is is the I am, and the I am is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect trinity, in perfect fellowship, one with another, all right, in the eternal life conference, reviewing the plan, agreeing to the plan, and first item on the plan is birthing the humanity of Christ at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. The alpha moment of time is the beginning of the humanity of Jesus Christ. And so now, once he's birthed, what do we have? The I am plus the humanity of Jesus Christ. God the Son is the God-man. We have the I am and God the Son in hypostatic union. Okay, Nothing else exists yet. Because apart from him, nothing comes to be that has come to be. Now the God-man is going to bring about the creation. The God-man is going to create the angels, all things, visible, invisible, rulers and authorities, principalities and powers. It is the God-man, not just God the Son. We saw in John 1 and Colossians 1, right? It's God the Son is the agent of creation. More than that, it's God the Son in hypostatic union. It is the God-man is the agent of creation accomplishing the Father's will. That's a huge difference. All right, let's look at these other chul applications in uh, Job 15.7. Strong's number for chul is 2342. And uh, in Job, 
Oldest book of the Bible, we have it, Job 15.7. Some of the oldest Hebrew terminology is in this book. Usages that have disappeared by later eras of the Old Testament. Job 15.7. Now here's a a rebuke by Eliphaz, who uh, doesn't like what he's hearing in Job's... uh, defenses eliphaz the temanite responded should a wise man answer with windy knowledge and fill himself with the east wind should he argue with useless talk or with words which are not profitable indeed you do away with reverence and hinder meditation before god for your guilt teaches your mouth and you choose your language of and you choose the language of the crafty and job's not doing any of this but it seems like it to uh to eliphaz i think crafty people see craftiness and other people your own mouth condemns you not i your own lips testify against you he goes on to say were you the first man to be born now is he talking about adam there i think he's talking about adam there or maybe not maybe uh, the patriarchs knew a whole lot more than we seem to have known lately Were you the first man to be born? Or were you brought forth before the hills? Why would Eliphaz even say such a thing? I mean, obviously the hills were around before Adam. I mean, we can go through the Genesis account. We can go through the the day-by-day record. We know when light was created, when the waters were separated above and below, when the dry land appeared and the waters uh, were were divided into its place and the dry land on its place. And when the uh, birds and the animals and the creepy crawly things and all that... We know the day-by-day-by-day account. We know when the first man was... Wait wait a minute. Was the first man birthed? Adam wasn't birthed. Okay. Cain was the first man birthed. And, And Cain's birth wasn't before the hills. Were you the first man to be born? Were you birthed before the hills? I'm starting to wonder, what did Eliphaz know? What did Job know? What did the patriarchs know? in the early generations after Noah's flood. Do you hear the secret counsel of God and limit wisdom to yourself? And right here, one verse away from the first man to be born is the term wisdom in verse 8. So what do you know that we do not know? What do you understand that we do not? Both the gray-haired and the aged are among us, older than your father. Now, this is two generations prior to Abraham. That means two generations prior to that we're still talking people that are living 400, 500 years. Noah's still alive. Shem's still alive. Japheth is still alive. Job himself, we have his, uh, his genealogy listed in, uh, in Genesis. All right. Anyway, I find that interesting. The first man born and birthed before the hills. Psalm 51.7. Psalm 51.7. Nope, that's not it. It's 5, verse 5. Behold, I was birthed in iniquity. What does that mean? His parents weren't married? (laughs) Jesse and whoever she was, they were just shacking up outside of marriage. 
born in sin. No, no, that's not what it means. It's all of us. Humanity, you and I, even with married parents, okay? We're not bastards. We have a legitimate birth, but we're born in sin. We are birthed in sin because we're birthed in Adam. It's the human experience in Adam. Behold, I was birthed in iniquity. In sin, my mother conceived me. That's why we needed the new birth. That's why we need to be made clean. We need to get saved. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. And make the hidden part, and in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, I shall be clean. Wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear the joy and gladness. This is his confession after the Bathsheba adultery and the Uriah murder. And uh, he needs to be cleansed. He needs to confess his sins and be restored to fellowship. All right. Anyway, back to verse 5. That's the issue of birthing. It's a birthing term. And it uh, follows the conception. Birthed in iniquity, conceived in sin. Isaiah 66, 8. Another cool verse. 66, 8. We were here not too long ago on Sunday mornings in our Isaiah series. This wraps up the book of Isaiah. And uh, so amazing is the birthing of the kingdom that it's almost going to seem like it was over before it started. Now, during the midst of the tribulation, it won't seem like that, (laughs) okay? Uh, They're going to go through the beginning of birth pangs. They're going to go through the birth pangs. They're going to go through hell on earth in the tribulation. But when it's over and done with, it's going to seem to them like it barely started. And uh, before she travailed, she brought forth. How does that happen? Whoever births the child before the water breaks or before the, the labor starts, before the first contractions or anything like that, you know, well, nobody. You know, the contractions are necessary. That's what gets the baby out. And that's, anyway, you know how that works. But the, the, the idea that the birthing can precede the labor, okay, that's why it's called labor and delivery. It's in that order, all right? But in the millennium, it's going to seem like, well, wait a minute. This is just, here's the birthing. How, how did that happen so fast? Before her pain came, she gave birth to a boy. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Can a land be born in one day? Can a nation be brought forth all at once? As soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her son. You know, it's just like, boom, snap your fingers. Water broke, here's the baby. Man. And uh, and obviously, that's with the hindsight looking back. That's with the comfort of Jesus being present with the kingdom. Because obviously, when Antichrist is rampaging and all kinds of other tribulational travails are going on, it is is a hard delivery. It is a hard, hard labor that they go through. Even the beginning of birth pangs are hard that Jesus talks about in in the Olivet Discourse. And he says, all of that, that's just the beginning of birth pangs. All right, well, there's our birthing term. And so Yahweh has now birthed wisdom. Now, let's look at verses 26 through 29, and let's see Yahweh as the Creator. Yahweh as the Creator. 26 through 29 now. And at first we might panic. At first we might say, wait a minute, until we get to verses 30 and 31, and then everything gets better. But in Proverbs 8, it sure seems like it's the Father who's the Creator. Because it's the Father that's doing all this work. 
The father is the is the begetter, the kanah agent of verse 22. He is the weaver uh, in verse 23, the nasak, the, the subject of the verb nasak in verse 23. He is the birther in verse 24 and 25. He is the agent of the verb, the subject of the verb that's actually birthing wisdom. Wisdom is the one who's being begotten, who's being woven, who's being birthed. But the father is the one that's doing that. Okay, And that kind of language continues in uh, verse 26. While he had not yet made the earth and the fields, nor the first dust of the world. All right, And so Yahweh is the agent of these verbs. Yahweh. The Creator, the one that birthed, the one that begot wisdom is the one that's doing this. While He had not yet made the earth in the fields of the first dust of the world. When He established the heavens, seems like Yahweh is the Creator. When He inscribed a circle on the face of the deep. According to this passage, Yahweh did it. When He made firm the skies above. Again, Yahweh did it. When the springs of the deep became fixed. When he set the sea for its boundary. Yahweh did it. So that the water would not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth. So in 26, 27, 28, 29. In all of those verses. It is Yahweh that is the active agent of of every single one of those verbs. The same agent in those verses that was the agent of the, of the verses 22, 23, 24, 25. That begot Christ, that, that wove Christ, that, that birthed Christ. Remember, we're seeing the Father and the Son in every single one of these verses. But it appears here that in, the, in these early verses, that the Father is the one that's creating all this stuff. And, and, and we're having problems, right? We're sitting here, we're vibrating a little bit because we read John 1, we read Colossians 1. We, we know that God the Son is the Creator. Why is this passage saying Yahweh is the Creator? Relax. It gets explained in, in verses 30 and 31. Because you see, wisdom was present as the master workman. The Father did it, but He did it through an agent. He did it through, uh, through the Son. Say, as John 1 says, as Colossians 1 says, through Him and for Him. Through Him He created all things. Through Him. And so the Father is the one doing it, but he's doing it through the Son. And that's what we see in verse 30. I mean, we even had it earlier in verse 27 when he said, I was there. I was there. I was there doing what? Just watching? I was there working. Because I was beside him as a master workman. As a builder. As a carpenter. Why do you think Jesus became a carpenter? Oh, well, because Joseph was a carpenter. And sons always learn the trade of their fathers. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Joseph was a carpenter, <laughs> I am, all right? God the Son was a carpenter. He was a builder. Created the whole universe. Created every angel. Created the earth. Created the dust. Wove the dust in such a fashion so as Adam's body could then be shaped. And every other human body in Adam is shaped in Adam's body. And the God-man did all that. I was beside him as a master workman. And so we have the father as the architect. We have the son as the builder. Right? This is what Abraham was looking forward to. Looking forward to a city whose architect and builder was God. Right? 
What do you think that's all about? Why do you think everything was created with speaking? God said, let there be light. And there was light. Because it's the Word is the agent of creation. Without speaking, how would it be created? Without the Father declaring His will and the Son making it happen. So God the Father said, let there be light. And God the Son, as the God-man, in hypostatic union, created the light. And God saw the light that it was good. All right? So wisdom is present as the master workman. And we use the same language in English or any other language. We use the same language when things are done and when things are done by an agent or when things are done um, and when they are uh, funded by somebody else. See? We can talk about who built this building that we're sitting in today. Well, you know, you want to talk about the general contractor we hired? You want to talk about the subcontractors? You want to talk about the, the different workers that, that did the different physical things around here to, to put a building on what used to be empty land? Or do you want to talk about uh, uh, the architect that designed it? You know, Scott Grubb that designed all the plans and did all that. You want to talk about the, 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 the church, corporate church body that authorized it? You know, Austin Bible Church built this building. Or do you want to talk about the, uh, the grace of God that paid for it? All right. <laughs> Who built this place? God built this place. And there were various agents along the way, of course. So it's not wrong to say that God the Father made everything because He did so through the Son. He did. He did. God made everything. But He did so through the Son. It's not wrong to say that... It's not, in other words, 26, 27, 28, 29, those verses are not wrong when it says... You know, when he made firm the skies above. He did make firm the skies above. At his command, he made firm the skies above because Jesus Christ executed his command and made firm the skies above. Yahweh did that. And so united are the Father and the Son anyway. When, we, when we're talking about Yahweh, half the time we don't know if we're talking about the Father or the Son or both. I think many of the Yahweh references in the Old Testament are actually God the Father and God the Son in their unity. As Jesus Christ said, I and the Father are one. So there's quite a few Yahweh passages in the Old Testament, I'm convinced, that are God the Father and God the Son in perfect unity of the Son reflecting the visible Father, invisible Father. Also, by the way, I'm going to look at these other verses here in a moment. We've seen many of them already. Um, it should not be surprising to us then that God the Son is the agent of creation. He has to be because... What does creation do? Creation declares the glory of God. Creation reveals God. His eternal nature, His mighty power, they're, they're clearly seen. Being seen through what has been made so that mankind is without excuse. Creation is a work of revelation of the, of the Father, and that's the Son's work to do. No man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. And the first thing He did to explain the Father was create the universe creates the universe that's the first work of god the son in, in explaining god the father but it was the god man that created the universe don't lose sight of that all right john 1 verse 3 and verse 10 we were there not too long ago earlier this hour did i read verse 10 i don't think i got that far down i did not read verse 10 verse 3 of course all things came into being through him and that come into being is interesting because it's not, 
It's not, cre- it's not a creation verb. It includes creation, but it also includes the beginning. As the Father begat the Son. So apart from God the Son, apart from Jesus Christ, nothing that has come to be has come to be in terms of what the Father begat and in terms of what the Son created. Then verse 10, He was in the world. The world was made through Him. And the world did not know Him. Not just the planet, not just the earth, but the world, the cosmos, the arrangement. This is what He has His delight in. He has His delight in the world, His earth. We'll see that in Proverbs 8.31. So through Him, through him. 1 Corinthians 8 6. Haven't seen that one yet. 1 Corinthians 8 6. Wisdom was present as the master workman. You know, as far as this idolatry goes, there are so called gods, you know, fallen angels posing as gods, and even unfallen angels that are called Elohim in the Old Testament. They are they have divine power. They're not I am, but they are gods in the sense of that. There are many so called gods in heaven or on earth, or indeed there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things and we exist through him. All right? God the Son is the agent of creation, and uh, it's, it's in hypostatic union, the God-man is the agent of creation, which is why for us, there's only one God. That's the Father and his Son, from whom and through whom we uh, humanity exists. Why did he create man? <laughs> you know, angels first. But you know, it was the God-man that created the angels. Okay? And the angels weren't the pinnacle of his program. It was humanity. Colossians 1.16, we saw a little bit ago, the firstborn of all creation. Starts to make more sense if you uh, make the beginning of his humanity the alpha moment of, of the universe. But all things are created through him and for him through him and for him. And so the Father was doing everything, but it was through the Son. Through the Son. Hebrews 1, 2. This gets overlooked a lot. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in other words, our Old Testament to the uh, fathers, the Jewish fathers, in the prophets, in many portions, in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, who was begotten prior to the resurrection, okay, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the ages. Not just the world, not just the planet, not just the cosmos, not just the arrangement, but also the ages. The entire plan from Alpha to Omega. The entire course of existence from Alpha to Omega. Jesus Christ, the God-Man God, God in hypostatic union, is the creator of the ages. The ages. The angelic ages. The human ages. 
the fullness of time and the ages of the ages. And He is the radiance of His glory. I love that. The radiance of His glory. Right? It's like when we see the sun. Are we looking at the sun? Are we looking at the light that has radiated out from the sun? What is it that reaches this earth? The sun doesn't reach this earth. But the light and the heat, the radiance of the sun is what reaches this earth. That's what we see. He is the radiance of His glory. The exact representation of His nature. And He upholds all things by the word of His power. (laughs) Show that to a tree hugger. All right? The, the environmental wackos that are trying to save the world and all this other stuff and, you know, kiss the whales, whatever else they're doing. Um, Jesus Christ upholds all things by the word of his power. And it's all going to explode when he stops doing so. He, he's going to give the word and every the whole fabric of reality will explode. But presently, he's upholding all things by the word of his power. What a glory. Okay? So we have Yahweh here. Now notice... It is not just, in in point G now, in the work of creation, in the work of creation, it is not simply God the Son achieving the designed will of God the Father. That's how it's normally thought. We're trying to expand our thinking. It is not simply God the Son achieving the designed will of God the Father. It is the God-man in hypostatic union, achieving the designed will of God the Father. Let that sink in. It is not simply God the Son. In other words, the deity of God the Son before He had humanity. It is not the deity of God the Son before He had humanity that created everything. It was the God-man in hypostatic union after He had received the humanity that God the Father begot. The Father begot His humanity. By the way, what image is that that's begotten? Is it the Father's image that's begotten or is it the Son's image that's begotten? Who did the begetting? The Father did the begetting. That's why if you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. Okay. It is not simply God the Son achieving the design will of God the Father. I think this helps. I think this helps in a lot of ways. I think answers in Genesis could use this, although they struggle to deal with anything pre-Adamic. Um, I think... Uh, do you ever follow any of the, the uh, different arguments, uh, apologetic arguments for the universe? The fine-tuning of the universe, for example. Why is it that this planet is so precisely made? Why are we so... We're, we're, we're 93 million miles from the sun, and, and we need to be because if we were a little bit closer, we would burn up. If we were a little bit further away, we would freeze. This, this is the ideal zone for a terrestrial planet, for, for human habitation. And more than that, I mean, the solar system, the Milky Way galaxy, all these things, everything seems fine-tuned for humanity. Well, that shouldn't be a shock if humanity built this place in the term of the God-man. A, a, a universe that's fine-tuned for humanity makes a lot more sense if it's the God-man that built it. Right? God the Father said do it. God the Son did it. 
And when God the Son did it, it was the God-man who did it in hypostatic union. I find that interesting. When we look at verses 30 and 31, I was beside him as a master workman, and I was daily his delight. Daily his delight. They had a, uh, they had a daily relationship I think that's why the emphasis is so strong on today I have begotten thee. Before his begetting, in the I am didn't have any todays. Okay? The I am didn't have any tomorrows. The I am, you know, time didn't exist until the alpha moment. And now there are moments after the alpha moment. And there are moments that they're tracking as days where the son is playing and the father is delighted. Because the father sees his image in this new child in this new son who's playing and i was daily his delight why did he why did he take six days to restore the earth to habitable conditions he could have just done it like that but he he did it in a daily process in a daily sequence he begins to track his days you know we do that we do that with our children and our parents did that with us and and sometimes we have a like a game night the other night and some part of the the the, the game is is talking about life stories and different things from times gone by and and boy uh, zoe and chris are really eating that up learning things about days before uh before they were around you know days before uh mom and dad were married days before you know what were those days like you know we didn't have wi-fi and internet so you know we actually did stuff (laughs) we made friends we talked to people we went outside um but days you know you think about it now the father and the son have a day by day delight because of the humanity of jesus christ and from that day, from the day he was birthed, the day I have begotten, from the day that he was birthed, there was a day-by-day-by-day by day by day fellowship with the Father and with the Son. And it's described here. Daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. Playing always before him. Here's a fun verb. Playing. Rejoicing. And if, if, it's, a, if it's a child context, it's, it's a little kid playing having fun. If it's a little bit more adult, then uh, the same verb can be used for a, a husband and a wife, uh, a man and a woman in their, in their lovemaking. They're, they're, it's called playing. That's how, uh, by the way, uh, the, the Philistine Abimelech figured out that, uh, that Isaac and, and uh, Rebecca weren't brother and sister. <laughs> he saw them playing. And he goes, brothers and sisters, don't do that. <laughs> he said, She's your wife, and the jig was up. Okay, um, so there's, idiomatically, there's different ways to use the verb. Rejoicing in the world, his earth. You know, you ever see a little kid play, a little baby play, a toddler play, and whatever, and they're just having the fun time, and they're laughing, and they're giggling, and whatever, and they're you know they're eating pill bugs or whatever they're doing, you know, and they're having the best time they've ever had. It's just hilarious. Life is fun. And uh, the parent can have some joy in watching that. Because maybe life's not quite so fun when you're paying bills and things are older and other responsibilities have sunk in and whatever else. But boy, you're looking at that innocence and you're looking at that new life and you're looking at that joy. 
And it's fun. It's fun to watch that. But you'll notice, rejoicing, well, come, next week we'll talk about this, rejoicing in the world, his earth. Rejoicing in the world, his earth. What's this venue for? Especially since it wasn't created until later. And having my delight not in the angels, not in Adam, but in the sons of man, the entire race of humanity which is in Adam, but it's in the image of God, which is in accord with his own humanity. Why do you think the, the uh, genealogy in Luke goes backwards, the son of, 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 until you get to the, to the son of Seth, to the son of Adam, the son of God? Okay? Because in hypostatic union, God the Son is already true humanity. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this class. look forward to learning more. Thank you for expanding our capacity. And I appreciate all that you, you do and have done and will do and everything that's yet promised. Your son has never yet been unfaithful and he never will be. Oh, Father, it's a delight. We're looking forward to when we get to enter into that glory, when we get to share that day-by-day eternal fellowship with you and with your son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen.